scruffy hospitality. That's the type of hospitality that just says, you know, real people live here. We actually have dishes in the sink and we have laundry on the couch. You know, I'm not a spotted unicorn. I'm not a mythical creature. I have, you know, I wear underpants that have to be washed and folded and put away. So scruffy I think, hospitality. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard a term that I love and deeply connect with. That is like who anytime you come over to our house, there is 20 dishes in the sink because we live here and we cook here. Yeah, <laughs> that is like I love that. You are listening to the Daily Mantra Podcast, and I am your host, Jesse Trulove, better known as Move with Trulove on Instagram. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jamie Erickson, author of Holy Huga. Jamie is a mother of five, school teacher turned homeschooler, author, public speaker, blogger, and podcaster. She literally does it all. We chat about the concept Huga, a Danish lifestyle concept that speaks to coziness, togetherness, hospitality, and more. Huga is something that I became aware about through a parenting book that I read and loved. The term reminded me deeply of a Dutch term that my own mama uses in our home. It's called Hesselic. Whether you know of Huga or Hesselic, these are concepts and words that don't quite translate to the English language, which is probably half of our American problem. We could all use a little more Huga in our life. Luckily, we have Jamie to break it all down. With that said, let's dive into the show. Okay, you guys, I am so stoked to have Jamie here to talk about Huga. Am I saying that right? You are. Well done. It's not okay. an easy word. <laughs> Huga, um, which I first learned about through a parenting book that I had come upon, and it actually really resonated with me with some of my like Dutch background uh, from my mom's side. Um, but I'm really excited to have the Huga expert in a sense, uh, come on here and tell us a little bit about it and introduce herself. She has a book all about it. Um, so Jamie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your background, your education, and you've kind of shifted into all these different avenues uh, in your professional career and in your mother uh, career also. So just give us the whole backstory about who you are. Well, I think the word expert is a bit generous, but you'll you'll come to know that I am a, a student in progress on Huga. I am not Danish, but I am married to, for the last 20 years, a Danish and Norwegian man. I'm actually originally from Phoenix, Arizona, and grew up in the inner city, but I met my husband, my Danish husband, in college, and he brought me all the way to the near tundra of Minnesota, where, um, if you know anything about your geography, Minnesota is the Scandinavian mecca of the United States. They, the state boasts the most Scandinavians than any other state in the country, including the Danish people. And I was a trained teacher in the classroom for many years. And um, my husband and I started having kids. In fact, for a while, it was like raining babies in our house. They were just coming from everywhere. <laughs> we now have five kids. And when my youngest was, or my, when my oldest was born, I decided it was time to hang up my teacher hat for at least for a time and became a stay-at-home mom for a bit and then decided to homeschool them. My husband had been homeschooled back in the 80s and 90s when it was like super weird and who even does that? Right. And and I never, ever thought I would ever homeschool. I mean, who does that? Yeah. But um, I- <laughs> Who does I that thought, with five kids? That's yes. like, that's my, that's the burning question I have. <laughs> yes. That is almost like um, a educational suicide, I've heard it called and yeah. many other things. But but I did decide to stay at home and homeschool them, and I've been doing it ever since. And we graduated our first about two years ago. We have two still in high school, one in middle school, and one little baby caboose still in elementary school. So that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm about. I'm also you know, a writer. I speak nationally at conferences, and 
um, just launched a book all about Huga, and that's what I'm here to talk about. That is incredible. So I love a big family. I'm the oldest of six. Okay. Um, and I like, my mom is like a saint and I think moms of like five, six, seven kids, they have to be because I just don't know how it's even possible. I have two kids and I'm like, I don't remember my mom like ever losing it literally ever. Like she just did it. And the fact that you have five kids, you're homeschooling all of them. You're like a superwoman. No, that is, that is the, um, the misconception. I think here's the thing about lots of kids. Once you have past two, you're sort of outnumbered anyway. Yeah. So you just keep adding and they just, you know, come into the, the fray. I, I highly recommend having a big family. I know it's not for everybody, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, totally. I, I loved growing up the oldest and I loved having so many brothers and sisters. And now it's like, I, like I, you know, I couldn't imagine it any other way as well. So that resonates with me a lot. Um, okay, so let's dive into... Huga. I can't believe I'm saying that right. Yeah. Huga. Um, it feels like Huga is like this very trendy new concept that everybody is kind of like bandwagoning on. Um, if you I was like doing searches on social media and it kind of looks like a like an interior design style sure. and more of like cozy blankets and a warm cup of coffee. Uh, the first time I ever learned about it was actually through a book that was about parenting and it was uh the Danish way of parenting where I know you talk about this too, that the Danish culture is like ranked the, the most happy among, um, is it all countries in like uh, the, the world? Just the European index of happiness. Okay. So, yeah. Like, I, I, I would argue it's probably pretty high on the worldwide index as well, but we don't yeah. really have, that's not a thing that I yeah. know of. So. Okay. Yeah. So that's what the, this other book was saying as well. And, you know, trying to figure out like, what are the concepts that make these happy people, you know? Um, and Huga in that book was a big part of that. And I know it's a big part of what you are teaching and spreading. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about Huga and and what it what it means to, to live a Huga, to have Huga, to be Huga? Tell yeah. me about it. <laughs> yeah, so that Huga is a word that we don't really have an English translation for. There's no direct English equivalent for it. So for me to give you sort of the, the Cliff Notes version of what it is, um, you can think of it this way. It's a lifestyle concept that engenders feelings of coziness and comfort and contentment, things like that. In my book, I focus on seven of the major tenets of Huga, um, but you know, it you can't really encapsulate this big lifestyle in seven points, you know, seven PowerPoint presentation things. So um, the Danish people have kind of cocooned themselves in this lifestyle for hundreds of years. You know, if you know your Danish history, it sort of um, came about because of some war and and their reaction or or how they um, cocooned themselves after having been through war. But that was hundreds of years ago. And slowly but surely, it's trickled across, you know, country lines and, and has landed in the United States. It came over here about five or six years ago, at least the word that we know of. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you're a Dane and you're living here in America, even if you didn't really know the word or or know exactly what it meant, chances are you have experienced these seven lifestyle tenets just from, you know, day one of your life. And you have been sort of wrapped in this emotional blanket of Huga and have been walking it out without maybe even realizing it. Mm -hmm. There is something about the Danish people that when you meet them, there's this 
abiding constant in their life. That's the best way I can describe it. They just have this contentment and this peace. And if you think about where the Danes live in Northern Europe, where they are swathed in, you know, biting temperatures and dark days, and any one of us would go there and think, how do you even survive this? You know, yeah. I need, I need a, I need uh, some, some medical attention for my yeah. emotions. Right. And this was, this was really their reaction to sort of bolster themselves to not just survive those really harsh in that really harsh environment, but, but actually thrive in it. And so obviously fall and winter is high hygge season. And we're, we're stepping into that now. And it's their way of sort of, for lack of a better way to say it, bolstering their emotions so that they can really find some contentment, even when, you know, the rest of the world is crumbling around them. And mm -hmm. it really has become a trending topic. It's been hashtagged on Instagram more than 8 million times. You know, as we do in America, we've started to commercialize it. There's a Huga game. There's, you know, Huga socks. There's whole stores of Huga. But as we make it popular with popularity comes a little bit of a cheapening and a lessening. And, and a lot of people who have um, kind of grasped onto it in America think that it can be just like packaged and shrink wrapped. And, mm -hmm. you know, here uh, you can have this box right. of Huga for easy carry out. But it is a lifestyle. It's an inward reaction to outward circumstances. And that's what I want you to like, tell us, how do we, how do we, what are the seven tenants sure. and do we have to go hygge shopping or can we do hygge at home? Like just, and embody really what this for lack of a better word is, you know, the coziness. Um, and, you know, I think it's like also bringing that coziness from spring and summer and carrying that coziness on into you know, the other seasons where everybody's like, you know, thriving in spring and summer and going outside and having fun. And it's like, that doesn't have to stop when it gets cold outside or when it's raining or, right. um, I really love that about the, about the Danish culture that I've read is that, you know, there, you know, you can't just stay indoors. There's right. the whole world out there that you need to go still do and experience. And you don't have to be so down about it. There's ways, right. like you said, to bolster all of these better emotions and really thrive the danish people really uh live present in the season that they're in that and they're hard. not always <laughs> yes and they're not always reaching for the the better life they recognize that my life is pretty good right here right now mm -hmm. they're fully present people i would say that my husband my danish husband is the most fully present person I've ever met. He is completely right where he is and enjoying yeah. himself, looking you in the face, looking you in the eye, which is very counterculture to our American way of living. You know, we're always what a looking gift. for the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that is one of the elements that I would say is, is paramount to a Hugo lifestyle is really living seasonally. And it, that doesn't necessarily mean just calendar seasons like spring, summer, winter, fall, but even life seasons, not always looking for the season that you're not in. Right now, mm -hmm. I'm living with teenagers. And um, I could be looking ahead and thinking, oh, someday I'll have an empty nest. No, right. I need to be fully present for the moms who are, you know, living with little ones. And you think, you know, I just, I can't even go to the bathroom without right. having, <sighs> you know, people grabbing onto me. And it's, it's finding ways to be content with right where you're at. So I want to, I want to go over those seven tenets, because I think that will help us as we navigate this conversation, um, because you really cannot package Huga up. It really is an inward it's an inward display that's showing out to the rest of the world. So the seven tenets that I talk about in my book, again, these are not all the, the only parts of Hugo, but I would I would argue that they're right up there at the top of a Hugo Lee lifestyle. And that's um, hospitality, relationships, 
well-being, and that's the care of oneself as well as the care of others, atmosphere, comfort, contentment, and rest. And obviously, because Huga um, does create really welcoming, inviting spaces, it's really easy to Instagram that, right? We can, yeah, yeah. we can create the cozy scene with the wool socks, and the, we're sitting by the fire with our cappuccino reading a book. Um, and that's one piece of Huga. Atmosphere is one piece, but we also have to remember that atmosphere is less about things um, that you mm -hmm. put in your spaces and more about a feeling that you create. Absolutely. And, you know, we know Instagram is a highlight reel and that's why it's like right. seeing this cute fireplace or coziness. It's like, is the rest of that environment cozy? Is is how it smells cozy? Is that person cozy? Like all right. are the conversations that are happening there cozy? It's so much deeper. And it, like you said, I, I just, not that I like the term, but um, I like the explanation of it almost cheapens what it is right. by putting a label that says it's Huga in, you know, Target or like whatever. Um, I, I want you to continue with the seven tenets, but this whole concept of Huga felt um, not so foreign to me because my, my mom is Dutch and we have a word called Heselif, which is Dutch for, you know, a cozy situation or it just feels good. Everybody there is calm and is enjoying their time and their space. And there isn't really, a, Americans don't have the word that really translate that. And, and I think that is what's lacking of, you know, making us one of the top happiest countries in the world or what, whatever. Right. Um, and also we're, the, yeah, we're speed addicts. We, yeah. we struggle to be fully present. We struggle yeah. to even take a breath and exhale, yeah. you know, it's yeah. not in us. Right. A whole, a whole, uh, a whole section of like what I do in my professional field is teaching people how to breathe because yeah. we forget how to breathe. We hold our breath. Um, and just, you know, a lot of what I talk about is motherhood. And just like you said, like being present and seasonally, it doesn't have to be the calendar or the weather seasons, but the doing, being present in the season that you're in right now, even if it's hard and figuring out ways to, to thrive in those seasons, it doesn't have to be, um, something that you're wishing yourself out of because, 10 years from now, you might be looking back and wishing you were back in that season, you know, for a moment or. Um, right. Well, even yeah. a hard season, one thing I talk about in the book, and I have lived myself in, in various iterations, you know, I'm 43 years old, I've, I've lived some miles, and I've seen enough hard things to know mm -hmm. that even in hard things, we can really um, regret those, we can really try to wish them away, pray them away, um, do everything we can to pad our lives to stay away from hard things. But you have to have a winter in your life if you're mm -hmm. ever going to have a spring. And the mm -hmm. the Danish people really understand that well, that winters are, are not necessarily just times of death. There is always growth happening just below the surface. And you have to have some dormancy in your life, those dark, bleak times, in order that life can really grow, in order that roots can grow deep. So there's a lot happening just below the surface, even in a dark time. So when we're talking about seasons, you know, it, here's the reason why you can't just package up Huga. You can go out to Target and and actually Target has an, an entire Huga um, Huga line on Target.com. Oh, does and it? Go, I would just say yeah, Target. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So you can go to Target.com, go to their Huga line and buy a beautiful, you know, chenille blanket to envelop yourself with. And you'll feel cozy and comfortable for all of two seconds. But what happens when the cat gets a hold of that blanket? Mm -hmm. You know, what happens goes right out the window, <laughs> right? You know, you can, you can decorate with all the candles and, and candles are, are, you know, the Danish people 
burn more candles than any other people in the entire world. Candles are very paramount to Huga. Feelings of ambiance and atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, they really do elevate just a basic moment when you light a candle. But what happens when the candle tips? And the whole thing goes up in flames, you mm -hmm. know, so it's it's less about the aesthetics of a room, the aesthetics of your life. Those things help. And that's that's one thing that the Danish people recognize. The outer life will always affect your inner life. So that warm, cozy blanket definitely is going to give you feelings of coziness, but it can't stop there. And so mm -hmm. that's where some of the other tenets of Huga, the comfort, the the hospitality, the deep relationships, you know, um, Three out of five people in America uh, claim to be lonely in their lives. And th that was a pre-pandemic statistic, by the way. So I can just imagine how amplified that is now. But the cure for loneliness is not more relationships, actually. It's just deeper relationships. And that's mm -hmm. what the Danish people understand. So they are often looked upon as kind of elitist. When you move to a community that is mostly Danish, it can feel very isolating at first, very shut off, like you are an outsider. And that's that's not their way of like holding people at bay. It's actually their way of bringing people in close. So they have very deep relationships and it does take a while to sort of crack the Danish, you know, into the Danish circles. But once you're in, you're in. And I think that we all could use a lesson and cultivating deep relationships, abiding relationships, relationships that actually um, mean something and matter. Mm -hmm. Chiming in, let's talk rituals. More specific ritual pre and postnatal vitamins. I've been taking ritual vitamins for over four years. You guys know I have a code for you. It's TRUELOVE20 to save you 20% off to try them out for yourself. It was the only prenatal I could take on an empty stomach that didn't make me feel nauseous. And it's the postnatal I've been taking since delivering my youngest. Why I love Ritual is that they have traceable ingredients. They're all non-GMO, third-party tested, vegan, and nothing artificial. Their subscriptions are easy to start and easy to cancel, and their team of scientists and nutritional experts are on a mission to turn your new healthy habit into a ritual. The shipping is always free. You can control your delivery date, cancel any time, and there's a money-back guarantee. I love Ritual. I know you guys will too. Now let's get back to the show. Well-being, because that is something that, you know, you hear a lot about self-care it's mm -hmm. important to fill your own cup in yeah. order to pour out. And and I think that there's some truth in that. But I think oftentimes we take that to an extreme and we hold on to that as in like, that's my right. It's my right to care for myself. And I agree that you cannot fully care for others unless you fully care for yourself. But the other half of that or the other side of that coin is the care of others. Mm -hmm. And when we are... Um, ex expelling so much energy in, you know, buying Egyptian cotton sheets, taking a spa day and mm -hmm. doing all these things that we associate with self-care, which are not necessarily bad, but when they are multiplied and amplified so large in our life, we have to ask ourselves, am I then also turning around and caring for someone else in an equal way? And so I do talk about that in the book, especially when we're living in a time in this cultural moment where, you know, there are a lot of fires to be fought in, mm -hmm. in, in society, a lot of social injustice happening, a lot of, um, a lot of people shouting from the curb. And it's mm -hmm. really hard for one woman to, to say, well, how can I affect change? What can I do that will have a rippling effect to actually bring peace and healing Huga to the world? And so hopefully I've included some tools in helping, in helping a woman to assess her own life and determine what are my banners to wave? What are right. the problems that I can help um, solve?
solve. I can't solve them all, but I right. should be able to solve something. Right. Oh gosh. Yeah. How overwhelming to see all of the things that are happening in the world, have to take care of yourself, have to take care of your children right. um, and do all the things that are expected of women and mothers and all these, all these things. And just, I think there's so much to be said for choosing and picking a lane and really putting your eggs in those baskets versus carrying the weight of all these problems, you know, um, figure out where you can actually make a difference. And I love that you have those tools in your book to really uh, figure out to look inward. And then also, you know, what can you actually do? And also just on the note of self-care, this is something I talk about too, is that, you know, self-care is really in the eye of the beholder. It doesn't have to be a spa day or a facial right. or all these things that, you know, look very luxurious and cost a lot of money that maybe not everybody has access to, right. you know, it's for me, that looks like taking a shower without my kids in there, you know, right. it, for me, you know, because it's, you know, like you said, also, like, it's my right to be able to do this. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be a martyr, but my kids, they just want to be with me 24 seven, you know? Okay. So yeah, the easiest way to do all that all at once is all of us in the shower and doing it as fast as we can, you know? Right. Um, and it really is a self-care moment when I'm able to do that by myself. Um, it doesn't have to have to be this big grandiose thing. And then that also kind of brings that shift down. Like, am I putting the same energy into other people? It lowers that. It's like, well, I can't buy everybody a facial. I can't buy everybody a spa day, but then it kind of evil, evens the playing field a little bit too. The other thing I would add to that, and it goes back to seasonal living. One of my, the very best pieces of Huga advice that I've ever received came from my mother-in-law. And, and I moved up here about 20 years ago. And she says, Jamie, what you need to do to not just survive, but really thrive in the winters. And, and, and I was so naive. I had no idea how cold it actually gets here. You know, it's, it's not uncommon to spend several weeks in negative 20 degree temperatures. That is cool. <laughs> that yeah. is real cold. And I was not prepared for that. You know, I, I lived the first 21 years of my life without even owning a coat. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to prepare for that. So she says, um, just for your own mental health, because seasonal affective disorder is a real thing and is especially common here in the northern states where it gets very cold and very dark. She says, Jamie, you need to pick a seasonal hobby just for yourself that you only allow yourself to do during those darkest of winter nights and winter days. And, and what you do when you do that, it, there's like a mental shift. You can step into that season with anticipation because now you're looking forward to oh, doing that something yeah, that's so that you can only do. And, and then you carry that over to other seasons because huga isn't just a winter concept. It is a mm -hmm. lifestyle. So you can huga in the summer. You can huga in Phoenix, Arizona, where I used to live. You can huga yeah. in other places. So if you carry that thought over and say, um, like, here's what I do in the summer. Obviously, our summers here in Minnesota feel like two seconds long. That's it. You know, that's all we get. But I love a good summer dress. And so I have a ridiculously large amount of summer dresses in my closet. You would peek in there and you would think, Jamie, you are a lunatic. You can't even wear all these in the time that we have summer here in Minnesota. But that's my huga to myself. I yeah. pack my closet with some summer dresses that in my, you know, two week span of summer that I get to wear them in Minnesota, I anticipate summer so much and step into it with so much joy that it really mm -hmm. does help me be fully present in that season when I know I have something to look forward to. So that's just one little, little tip. If you're looking for a way to be fully present in your season is afford yourself a small little hobby, a small little something. One winter I packed away a bunch of of um, books that I wanted to read from an author I had just discovered. I bought them at yard sales or thrift shops, kind of squirreled them away. 
and then only let them myself start reading them in November when it started to get dark. And I was mm-hmm. like looking forward to, to the darkness, be <laughs> the worst part of the year in Minnesota, because I had something to look forward to. So do yeah. you see how like the outward life always affects the inward life? And that's just yeah. one simple way. Yeah, that is really genius. And that can really be applied to any season, like you said, and that, and it's, so it's not like do this one thing. It's find what make what brings you joy and then right. apply that to your own life. So that's like everybody can pick their own thing. So I love and that. You can, you can even do that in life seasons because I'll tell you this. Now that I have teenagers, one thing that I really miss is like here we are in fall. None of my teenagers want to carve pumpkins. They're just not <sighs> into it. But, but because I did it and I did it so well when they were little, I can look back with gratitude and really fully appreciate that short season of having littles who were excited about simple life pleasures like carving pumpkins. Mm -hmm. So the, the mamas who have littles don't begrudge this time, look for ways to say, you know, someday I'm really going to miss that. I'm going to be fully present right here and do this thing with them because I know it won't last for very long. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. You're going to, you're going to make me bring a tear to my eye because you got the teenagers that don't want to, don't want to carve the pumpkins. <laughs> That's all in our future at some point. Yeah. Um, okay. So after understanding a little bit more of what the Hugo lifestyle means, how we can apply it to all of the seasons of our life and also weather seasons, how can we start to create more of this in our home? Is it adding in the candles, like as a family, is it a specific day that we do this? Is it, I don't know, maybe some like takeaway tools for people like to how to start implementing this like into their home? Well, I think number one at the top of the list is you need to start opening your doors more often. Huga is a very inclusive lifestyle and um, hospitality is, you know, at the top of the list for a reason. And if you want to develop and cultivate deep relationships with people, mm-hmm. if you want to care for their well-being and and then extend opportunities for them to care for you well, if you want to feel the comfort that is yours for the taking, if you want to be fully content and find rest, it involves community. Mm-hmm. So um, find ways to what I like to call participate in scruffy hospitality. That's the type of hospitality that just says, you know, real people live here. We actually have dishes in the sink and we have laundry on the couch. You know, I'm not a spotted unicorn. I'm not a mythical creature. I have, you know, I wear underpants that have to be washed and folded and put away. So you have to be willing to welcome a little bit of scruffy hospitality, show your real self to others. And you know what that does? That really does have a rippling effect. Mm -hmm. When you're willing to open up your real self and your real life with your real door open to others, you will give them the courage to do the same. And they're more apt to reciprocate and invite you over knowing, oh, she doesn't require perfection. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to be perfect. So number one, I think right at the top is we have to be willing to open our doors. And right now we just, we, we came through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So none of us really have great muscle memory for how to do that. Right. We have to start somewhere. So do Mm -hmm. it in baby steps as best as you can start inviting people over. So that's number one. Scruffy hospitality. I I don't think I've ever heard a term that I love and deeply connect with. That is like who anytime you come over to our house, there is 20 dishes in the sink because we live here and we cook here. Yeah, (laughs) that is like I love that. And and what that does for people when they see your 20 dishes in the sink is, okay, 
I can take a breath because I too have 20 dishes in my sink. Yeah. She's a real person. Yeah. So um, you will dive into much deeper layers with a person if you're just willing to. Um, and, and that's not to say that you have to like have an absolute pig's eye. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I we too, have some boundaries. <laughs> right. You know, like tidy up if you feel the need and, you know, do a little bit of cleanup because nobody wants to come into like food all over the place and uh, like dirty diapers. Just out. don't be sterile. It doesn't have to yeah, be totally sterile. You don't have to here. sterilize your life. Yep. Yeah. So hospitality. Um, I think another way, especially for those of you with kids, is begin to train and help your kids learn basic communication skills. And what that looks like is um, one thing I do at the dinner table every night is um, ask my kids a two or three open-ended questions. These are questions that don't have, that cannot be answered with yes or no answers. It's training them in good communication skills because they have to think of an answer and give it. It's training them in waiting my turn in a conversation. It's training them on how to be a good listener because listen, we have so many public speaking classes in this world. What we really need is a couple of public listening classes and you can do that right at your own table. So um, having some set aside time at the dinner table where you're actually asking some real open-ended questions training your kids in doing the same. In fact, I have a jar of questions that sits by my table. And if I can't think of one or they can't think of one, we'll just pull a slip out. And you might think, well, that's that's very robotic. That doesn't sound very personal. personal. But with, with the retelling of questions, it becomes habitual. Mm-hmm. And so then your kids will be more apt to be able to be the generation that can ask a good question and yeah. listen, not just hear someone but really truly listen. And that takes training. It takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes investment. So for the moms, that's one simple way that you can start bringing some Huga into your home is to teach your kids to ask good questions and listen to the answers. Right. I Um, love that. I love that. That's such an easy way to start fostering those deeper connections is by asking good questions because how, how much more meaningful are your connections with people when they really take time to listen to you, but also ask those meaningful questions and really have interest in, in what they're asking you versus like the surface level. Well, I don't really know. I don't know what to talk about, you know? And, you know, just like you said, it takes training, takes a lot of reps and practice to know and understand what a good question sounds like. Right. So that's such an easy tool. That it's natural sounding. Cause I'm an awkward human. When you get me in a room, you know, I do all the awkward things, but I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm learning how to be less awkward. I'm learning, I'm training myself how to be um, a person who asks good questions. You know, one of my most favorite questions that I love to hear people ask, and my daughter, my 18-year-old actually is the one that taught me this one. She often starts a conversation with, what question do you wish more people asked you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes people really think. And then they come back with their answer and then you tuck that away because you mm-hmm. know to ask them that the next time you're with them. Yeah. Um, and they'll be vulnerable enough to answer because you were vulnerable enough to ask. And you're not just sitting there reloading, thinking of your next thought, thinking of your rebuttal or, you know, loading your verbal guns to, you know, give a snappy reply. You have to learn to really listen. Jamie, are you giving us relationship advice right now? Because I feel like you're speaking to me on a, di- <laughs> like not as a mom. <laughs> I feel like this might be some wife talk. <laughs> I could be. It's all about a part of Huga, just learning to be fully present. And I, like I said, I am such a work in progress at this. I feel like I'm being, I'm being trained with one of the best. My husband is, is something else. He's, he's quite a guy. That's, okay. Let's go. 
let's let's shift the conversation a little bit towards homeschool. Um, I was actually homeschooled for a few years. Okay. I did not like any second of it. Um, and I think there were about a thousand reasons why it didn't work. Fast forward to now, 29 years old. I do plan to homeschool my children okay. um, for about a thousand reasons. Um, do you have any tips for moms out there considering homeschooling their children, but they feel like maybe they don't know enough or they're not patient enough or, um, you know, kind of feeling like it's more like I'm not qualified to do this yeah. versus the curriculum. Cause I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there about that, but I feel like for the moms that feel like they're not good enough or they aren't patient or don't have the skills, what are some tips for them either I guess to can whether it'd be a good consideration for them to do or are there any like hard rules for maybe it's not a good idea for you to do okay so I was a trained teacher I'm a licensed teacher and I can tell you that a lot of times the fear that a mom has when she's contemplating on whether or not she wants to homeschool is the fact that oh I don't have all the letters behind my name I don't have that mm -hmm. degree on my wall but for those of us who did you know, become trained teachers, have that degree on their wall, we can all tell you that really and truly a teaching degree helps you, gives you some tools to control the masses. Mm -hmm. And there are certain tips and tricks when you're trying to teach a herd of children that you really right. do need to know that are very helpful. But when you're just talking about strictly education and learning, learning is just a continuous building of the mind. It's just um, learning the next thing. And so we often are conditioned to think that learning can only look one way because that was the way that we came through and that's what we know. And that is, um, that seems like it is, um, that it counts, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it yeah. meets certain benchmarks that has certain qualities to it and looks a certain way. It's very formal, but learning is just building the mind. So you as the mom have actually been learning and building your child's mind since the very first moment they took a breath. In fact, studies show us that 90% of the most important things a person will ever know and learn in their life happens before the age of five. Wow. So Ooh. you are the one who poured in to that 90%. So why talk yourself out of it and, and tell yourself that you can't do it when you've already done 90% of the work, you know? Right. Um, I think the two, I'll, I'll say three, the three greatest factors in, in homeschooling or really just education in general, whether you're a teacher in the classroom or a mom at home, is one, just a love for that child. And let me tell you, there's nobody in the world who loves your kid more than you. And that love will compel you forward and will stay with you and stay true for all the years that you choose to home educate them. And that will really lead the charge as you're teaching them. That love will compel you forward. So love, I think... Um, your curiosity will move the needle like nothing else. They have to see that you are still a learner, that learning is for a lifetime. Learning doesn't just stop by the time they are in 12th grade and they get that, you know, blessed diploma. Yeah. Learning is for forever. And so right. you have to model that by being a very curious person, by we being willing to be a beginner, by starting something new. They have to see you try something and fail and then get back up and try again. That's what learning is. And it really does start with you. You spark that curiosity in them for how curious you are. And then number three is just faithfulness. You know, you can, 
by the very best perfect curriculum, by the way, there's no such thing, but right. let's say there was, <laughs> let's say there was a perfect curriculum. You can plunk down all kinds of real cash money and buy that expensive, perfect box set of this or that. And it's not going to do a bit of good if you don't just stick to it faithfully every day, just little bit by little bit showing up every single day. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, you can have the worst curriculum. And everybody says, why are you even doing that? And you will see the needle move on their education with just little bit by little bit showing up in faithfulness. Mm -hmm. I think that mothers fear homeschooling because as mothers, we naturally carry a very large backpack of fears for our kids. You know, yeah. we fear every part of their life. We're fearing that we're messing them up, that we're screwing right. them up. They're going to need therapy someday. But then you add that larger element of their education into that backpack. And all of a sudden, now our fears have grown exponentially. Yeah. So, you know, the the fear of homeschooling gets added to all the other fears that we carry around as mothers. And then those fears get amplified. But if you just remember those three things, the love that you have for your child, the fact that learning is for a lifetime. And, and you know what? You might, as you're homeschooling, you might find that you miss out on something. Maybe you forget to teach some important something. I can tell you as a teacher that was in the classroom for years, the teachers are forgetting some important something too. It's just, you know, rite of passage for humanity. And there will be gaps in your child's education. You can probably look back on your education and see that there are some sort of gaps in your education. But here's the thing about real learning. It's true what they say. Necessity is the mother of invention. When your children need it, they will learn it because they'll mm -hmm. have to. So even if you miss out on one important thing and they don't learn, you know, the names of all 50 states, when they need to know it, they'll learn it. So the love you have for your child, just your, your own personal curiosity and the fact that learning is for a lifetime and then just daily faithfulness, plugging mm -hmm. away at it. Yeah, just chipping away. Yeah, that's amazing. It really takes um a lot of the pressure off because I feel like that's what you know, like you said, it's a great way to put it is that we have this backpack of all the fears for our children through for their whole life, you know, and then adding on the weight of having to teach them everything that they're learning in mm -hmm. in public school, uh, but just knowing that you know that. They're, for, they're, they're not tapping into every single thing. The teachers in real schools or in public schools are, are real people too, are real humans too that forget things or that maybe the curriculum doesn't touch on this one important thing or whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, if they and need I've to learn seen, something, they will. I've just seen like all we do. the different avenues of education. I was in the public school. I taught at um, a private school. I'm now homeschooling. And I can tell you that there is not one method of learning that doesn't have its own strengths and its own struggles. Yeah. So you, it's just a matter of which are the strengths and struggles that you think would be best for your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many ways to learn. And I feel like public school just does a really good job at teaching one way, having all the standardized tests and all these things. And I feel like as adults, we all come out of traditional school and we're like, wish we would have learned this. I wish we would have learned how to do our taxes. I wish we would have learned how to build a business. You know, all these yeah. things that, you know, by homeschooling, you're, you are potentially giving your children the opportunity to learn these things that you feel like would have been helpful for you to know as an adult or as an 18 year old going into the real world, even though I feel like it's all the real world, but um, yeah, it's giving 
you not not just more responsibility and this extra weight and these worries, but it's also presenting a really amazing opportunity to connect and build a deeper relationship with your child um, and and giving them tools and resources that you didn't have growing up. So it's all one big giant opportunity. And, and just like I always say, there's a million ways to be a good mom. There's probably a million ways to be a good teacher too. And they don't all have to look or feel the same. Yep. Cause we all are gifted with unique gifts. We all have very unique kids. We have unique budgets, mm-hmm. unique life circumstances. And, and I think that all of those things need to be taken into consideration when you're considering homeschooling or otherwise. Yeah, totally. Um, I, lastly, I, this show is not a religious show, but I know that your book is based in faith and also Huga. So can you explain a little bit about how these two interweave together and how you have chosen to interweave them into your life? Because I know that there probably are a lot of people that are going to resonate with having a faith and wondering if Huga can, you know, mesh in with what they're beliefs are. So I'm just right. kind of walk us through that a little bit. Well, Huga is not a faith-based concept. It is simply a lifestyle practice of the Danish people. But as an evangelical Christian, and I am, um, I began looking at the seven tenets and just the lifestyle of Huga in light of my faith, as one does, you know, you view the world through the lens that you see it through. And I noticed that there were many overlaps that Huga and my faith in in Jesus really did have a lot of similarities. And where Huga is what I would consider um, a lifestyle band-aid, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but it is it is a temporary earthly concept, just a lifestyle. I felt like when I partnered it or paired it with my faith, it felt like it put more gravity to to what I was doing, and so I could could view it through the lens of, oh, I don't have to compartmentalize my life. Like this is my faith life. This is my, my regular everyday Monday life, my Monday through Saturday. This is my Sunday life. I could have a one piece life because they meshed well. Um, because all of the seven tenets that I talk about in my book, you actually can see, or I can see through the life of Christ. Is what is your number one piece of advice you would give to your past self as a first time mom? Oh, um, really mm-hmm. easy. This too shall pass. Yeah. And you can take that in two different directions. Mama, who is um, experiencing the lovely wonder of little ones. Remember, this too is going to pass. Mm-hmm. So sit with it as best you can. And I know that when you're in the thick of it, in the toddler rodeo show, that is not easy. <laughs> um, but also you can look at it on the other end, that when the days are really hard, when you are stuck in, you know, trying to potty train a child that just is like, is this child going to still be in diapers when they're 18? Or when you're <laughs> stuck in the, you know, the terrible twos or, or whatever it is, remember this too shall pass. Yes. And uh, that definitely, it, it goes both ways, like you said, and it go, it, it passes and it goes fast and it feels slow and, you know, mm-hmm. all the things. Okay. Currently in your season of motherhood or life, what is your mantra to get you through hard times? It's like a mantra, but mom style. I would say um, my current mantra goes right along with the Hugo lifestyle. And that is that the outward life will always affect the inward life. Um, I cannot control all of my circumstances, but I can control my perspective about them. 
And Jamie, where can people find you? What resources do you have available right now? And uh, I know you have a few books out as well. So why don't you give us the lowdown on what you are currently offering? Yeah, so you can best find me at jamieerickson.com. I am the co-host of the Mom to Mom podcast with Kate Battistelli and September McCarthy. So you can get the latest episodes there as well as, you know, check out my books, Homeschool Bravely, which is my book about homeschooling. And then Holy Huga, I often also offer lots of homeschooling helps and tools on my blog, The Unlikely Homeschool. Yeah, I did check out that blog. There is so many tools there and a lot of resources for any moms that are looking to homeschool. I get so many DMs about that because I'm very open in the fact that we want to homeschool our kids. And so we always get tons of questions about that. And honestly, I have no idea how to answer them. So I'm glad you're here to have the answers uh, for people to go and, and check out your blog and get some resources on that. Um, Jamie, do you have any final words or anything else that you want to leave us with? Um, I would just say, I, I'm assuming that the majority of, of people who listen to this show are probably women, probably moms. Um, my my biggest, best piece of advice or my one ending thought is to just be fully present with your kids. It is, I know you hear this all the time from, you know, ladies at the grocery store with the gray hair and it, it, it goes by so very fast. I cannot believe I have a grown adult daughter. Um, but this is the plant. These are the planting years you are planting right now. You cannot expect a huge harvest right now, but the harvest will come. And it's so good. Beautiful. Jamie, thank you so much for your time today and answering all of my questions about Huga and homeschooling and giving us your uh, advice and tips. It was my pleasure speaking with you. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Same. It was delightful. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm.